Sorry. Sometimes if there's too much slack and I move, then the whole thing goes flying. <laughs> All right. Greetings this morning. In Jesus' name. Um, found it very interesting. I was blessed to be here this morning. I found it very interesting. Uh, various parts of uh, different songs or um, even some of the children's lesson in Elvin's opening how they went along with what I was planning to share here this morning. Maybe not completely, or maybe it's just because of, you know I had my mind in this and my notes here, and things just jumped out at me. But um, and feel the promise is not vain that mourn shall feel the promise is not vain that mourn shall tearless be. I thought, that line, I thought of uh, the end of time. I don't know, I guess that's one way to look at that line, that uh, in the morning, the end of time, when Christ has returned, uh, there'll be no more tears. And I actually want to turn there to Revelation 21, that's where I want to start this morning. I had a, a verse come to mind... Now I'm not actually even sure which is the first one that came to mind, but there was a word in this one verse that stuck out to me, and uh, so the message this morning is kind of centered around that one word and the thought behind it. <clears throat> I'm going to go ahead and read uh, chapter 21, verses 1 through 8. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them and be their God. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. And he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said unto me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. And he said unto me, It is done. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give unto him that is a thirst of the fountain of the water of life freely. He that overcometh shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. But the fearful, the unbelieving, the abominable, murderers, whoremongers, sorcerers, idolaters, all liars, shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. So the word that stuck out to me is that word overcometh. And uh, that word is used, I think, about ten times in the New Testament. Um, you'll probably think right away of uh, Revelations chapter 2 and 3 where he's talking, or the letters to the seven churches and at the end of every uh, letter to the church, to each individual church, talks about he that overcometh. Um, and then it's also used in John, or First John, sorry, uh, five verses 4 and 5, I think. It's used three times there. So, that's what we want to look at today, uh, is overcometh. Uh, verse, a couple of these verses here in Revelation, um, 5 through 7, there's, it says there in there's verse 6, I guess, it says, it is done, it is finished. There's a sense of finality. Um, time has come to an end in all of our lives. Uh, time will come, I'm sorry, time will come to an end in all of our lives, whether that is at, at this point where, where God says, it, or Christ says it is done, um, or whether that's earlier. Um, I think probably it would be safe to say one of the most critical things for us is to, uh, to consider the 
finality of our life and will we overcome? Um, so that's kind of the question I have before us. And I wrote it out this way for a title, Am I Overcoming? And I'd like us to kind of think uh, introspectively about ourselves and, and some of the verses I share here. Am I overcoming? So I have three points. Uh, what does it mean to overcome? What are we to overcome? Or what is it that we are um, fighting against, you could say? And then how do we overcome? So this, uh, as I mentioned a little bit, this need for overcoming has two, <clears throat> two distinct realities. There is the, as you say, the daily overcoming, the little things that we face in life throughout the day or, or every day that we need to, to be able to overcome. But there's also the sense of the final overcoming, and they're closely tied together, and so I had a little bit of a hard time figuring out how to differentiate them, but yet um, it seems as though it's there. They could be described individually enough because you could overcome for a while, but not overcome in the end. And so it's uh, to overcome in the end, we need to be able to overcome daily. So uh, Strong's definition for, for this word, um, overcometh, both the one here in Revelation 21 and also uh, Revelation 2 and 3 where it's used, and in John, it is to subdue, either literally or figuratively, to conquer, overcome, prevail, to get the victory. Uh, and then Thayer's definition goes on to, to say that uh, overcometh, when speaking of Christ, He's talking about being victorious over all his foes and of and for Christians um, that they hold fast their faith even unto death against the power of their foes, temptations, and persecutions. And so I think for us, mainly that uh, daily um, overcometh is going to be in that area of temptations that he mentions. And in some cases it may end up leading to persecutions. There are many Christians around the world that do face persecution, and you think of uh, think of the Martyr's Mirror. Uh, it's a more or less a whole book of of uh, people who were persecuted for their faith and who stood, um, who overcame. <coughs> Revelation 21.7. Sorry, let me... What does it mean to overcome? Revelation 21.7. He that overcometh shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. He that subdues his enemy, he that prevails, is going to be the one that gets the victory. Um. <coughs> Excuse me. Last night I had a little bit of a dry throat and I was hoping it wouldn't bother me this morning. See if we can make it through here. So in Revelation it gives, or in 21, or chapter 21 here, um, the first reason I read the first uh, four verses there is that's giving a picture of what those who overcome have to look forward to. Um, the new Jerusalem coming down from heaven, a bride adorned for her husband. That is the picture of one that's overcoming. I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, the tabernacle of God is with men and he will dwell with them. He's going to dwell with those that uh, have overcome. God himself shall be with them and be their God. That's kind of a lot to uh, process and to think about imagining, you know, 
in our human mind here, imagining God dwelling with us, dwelling here on earth. Um, obviously, it will be a new Jerusalem. It's not going to be the chaos of the world today. If we overcome, we shall dwell with him. Verse 7 says we shall be his sons. Uh, and then in verse 8, it talks about those that don't, those that won't overcome. Um, you could say those that will be overcome by these things. And there's a whole list here. Unbelieving, the abominable. Um, the abominable, uh, I looked that up, try to figure out what exactly, how to describe that, and detestable or kind of somebody you don't want to be around is the picture I got. Murderers, whoremongers, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake of fire. They will not overcome that uh, second death. Um, something that I wanted to mention here yet too, thinking about how our daily overcoming is connected with this final overcoming. Um, turn to Jeremiah. If you want to turn to Jeremiah, you can. I'll be here long, but Jeremiah tw- chapter 12, I'll read a handful of verses here. Starting in verse 1. Righteous art thou, O Lord, when I plead with thee. Yet let me talk with thee of thy judgments. Wherefore doth the way of the wicked prosper? Wherefore are all thy, wherefore are all they happy that deal very treacherously? Thou hast planted them, yea, they have taken root. They grow, yea, they bring forth fruit. Thou art near in their mouth and far from their reins. But thou, O Lord, might mention here, I think... Uh, Reigns is sometimes translated minds. So thou art near in their mouth and far from their minds. But thou, O Lord, knowest me. Thou hast seen me and tried mine heart toward thee. Pull them out like... Let me start again in verse 3. But thou, O Lord, knowest me. Thou hast seen me and tried mine heart toward thee. Pull them out like sheep for the slaughter and prepare them for the day of slaughter. How long shall the land mourn, and the herbs of every field wither, for the wickedness of them that dwell therein? The beasts are consumed, and the birds, because they said, He shall not see our last end. So that was Jeremiah in the first four verses. Um, Complaining, maybe, or questioning what is going on, what is God doing. This doesn't make any sense. And it seems like he is being uh, overcome with maybe doubt or... Uh, you could even could even grow bitter uh, eventually with this questioning that he has going here. But then God comes in in verse 5 and says, If thou hast run with the footmen and they have wearied thee, then how canst thou contend with horses? And if in the land of peace wherein thou trustest they wearied thee, then how wilt thou do in the swelling of Jordan? So the idea is that... Uh, if we can't overcome in the little things, how are we ever going to expect to overcome in the end? But also, uh, talked about talked about uh, temptations and persecution. I believe that was in Thayer's definition. Yeah, again, uh, faithful unto death, even against the power of their foes, temptations and persecution. And so if we can't overcome in the temptations we face, how are we ever going to overcome in the, in the persecutions that we may face? So with that uh, kind of encouragement there from, from God to Jeremiah to overcome, um, I want to look a little bit at what we are to overcome. That will take us to 1 John chapter 5.
First John chapter 5, verse 4. For whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world, and this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. Who is he that overcometh the world, but he that believeth that Jesus is the Son of God? So what are we to overcome, or what are we striving against? You could say the world. Um, it says that, it talks about uh, he that overcometh the world. So that's clearly something that God is expecting us to overcome. Um, that's maybe kind of a broad term. Maybe, and I plan to, as we go through here, kind of uh, dissect that down a little bit. And one way I thought to, that we could do that is we could look at the seven churches in Revelation and just see what it is that God said they needed to overcome and see how those apply to us. Uh, I think we can, I think it's okay if we apply those personally. Um, you know, how am I personally facing this? Um, even though it is intended for the churches, as it's written, I don't think there would be any harm in, in looking at it personally. So if we turn back there to Revelation chapter 2. First church we have is Ephesus. I, I guess we might have time for me to read all of it. Unto the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. I know thy works, and thy labor, thy patience, and how thou canst not bear them which are evil. And thou hast tried them, which say that they are apostles, and are not, and hast found them liars. And hast borne, and hast patience, and for my name's sake hast labored, and hast not fainted. Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. Remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen, and repent, and do the first works, or else I will come on to thee quickly, and I will remove thy candlestick out of his place, except thou repent. But this thou hast, that thou hatest the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. Okay, so just for a short uh, uh, or to encapsulate that, what he said to the church there in Ephesus, he says he left their, they left their first love. Um, I, Matthew Henry notes, I was reading there, that they weren't God hadn't said they left their first love and you know committed adultery and taken up another God or anything. They had just basically grown cold. Um, so, in order to put that into a single word, it seemed to me like the thing they needed to overcome is lukewarmness. That is, I think that's something that each of us can face. Um, I know for myself, uh, I guess it was about a year ago this time, we found out that things weren't going to move ahead for us going to India to serve with uh, Marvin and Jenny. And that was kind of a confusing time for me because we had gotten a couple uh, confirmations, you could say. And it seemed like the door was open. And as we were sort of preparing our hearts to go, all of a sudden, the door closes again before us. And... I have to say, I, that was difficult for me. And I, there was a period there where I would probably have been considered lukewarm, just as this church here is. Um, and it, it also talks... Maybe it's actually not mentioned here, and it was just in my thoughts. I was thinking of it, but uh, you know, this slacked off or was a little thought was a little slothful, and I had to find, or I I realized that in myself that I needed to press in 
um, that I was growing lukewarm. And I think that's, for us today, I think that's something we need to be careful about as uh, time continues to go on and, uh, you know, the world goes to what the world is going to, that we don't grow lukewarm, wondering, you know, what is God really doing here? This, this isn't making any sense. And so for the church of Ephesus, slacking off was, was, their main, was their major thing and that they needed to overcome. God gave them space to repent of this and to overcome so that in the end they could overcome. If we move on to the next one, um, verse 8 church in Smyrna, and unto the angel of the church in Smyrna write these things, saith the first and the last, which was dead and is alive. I know thy works in tribulation and poverty, but thou art rich. I know the blasphemy of them which say they are Jews and are not, but are the synagogue of Satan. Fear none of those things which thou shalt suffer. Behold, the devil shall cast some of you into prison, that ye may be tried, and ye shall have tribulation ten days. Be thou faithful unto death, and I will give thee a crown of life. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. He that overcometh shall not be hurt of the second death. So what the church in Smyrna appears to be facing, talks about uh, the devil casting some of you into prison. appears to be a physical persecution. Um, that's not something I've had to face. Uh, but I think we should be careful to realize that that likely is coming. Um, there are many places in the world where Christians do face persecution. It speaks here of imprisonment. My mind went to Ken Miller and uh, time he spent, sort of get those guys all mixed up. Ken spent time in prison, correct? Yeah. So, and my mind went to him thinking that, uh, you know, a few weeks or months before um, he chose to help out, I guess it was Lisa, Lisa Miller, I think, if I have my names right. A few weeks or months before he chose to help her out when that need came up, do you think he expected to find himself in prison? It's not. It's not something any of us expect to happen right now. You know, this country that we live in, we're free to worship, we're free to gather like this. Um, prior to the last year, we had been more free to do so. But... What if we help out that person that comes along and the authorities say, nope, you're going to prison. Are we prepared for that? Is that going to shake our faith so much that we will not overcome? So for Smyrna, uh, imprisonment or persecution are the words I jotted down as, as the thing that they needed to overcome. And this, again, goes back to uh, the verses there in Jeremiah about running with the footmen and being tired, how are we ever going to run with the chariots? Um, sorry for the paraphrase there, but I think I got that said correctly. I suppose that uh, Ken Miller probably was tempted at times to give up, but it seems as though he overcame. Okay, let's move on to Pergamus. Verse 12, and to the angel of the church in Pergamos, write these things, saith he which hath the sharp sword with two edges. I know thy works, and where thou dwellest, even where Satan's seat is. And thou holdest fast my name, and hast not denied my faith, even in those days wherein Antipas was my faithful martyr, who was slain among you, where Satan dwelleth. But I have a few things against thee, because thou hast there them that hold the, the doctrine of Balaam, 
who taught Balak to cast a stumbling block before the children of Israel to eat things sacrificed unto idols and to commit fornication. So has so also them that hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which thing I hate. Repent, or else I will come unto thee quickly, and I will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. And he that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the hidden manna, and will give him a white stone, and in the stone a new name written, which no one knoweth, saving he that receiveth it. Okay, this one is a little bit confusing. I'll do my best to explain it how it seems to me. If you have questions or a differing view on that, we can talk about it later. But So the, one of the issues here was the doctrine of Balaam. and also talks about the doctrine of the Nicolaitans. Some, uh, some translations or some versions would, in the beginning of verse 15 there, it says, so hast thou also. It would, uh, it would use a different set of words there, and it would indicate that the doctrine of the Nicolaitans and the doctrine of Balaam are the same thing, more or less. So, Nicolaitans is only mentioned twice in the Bible that I could find. One is here, and one is uh, the church... Place my name on it, the church of Ephesus that hatest the deeds of the Nicolaitans. <clears throat> so it, it explains here what the doctrine of Balaam is. Um, there was apparently false teachers that were teaching that it was okay for uh, the children of Israel to eat things sacrificed unto idols. And I think uh, personally, I believe that having done that, that led them into the fornication. Um, it seems like those teachers, those uh, false teachers, had a sense of uh, spiritual pride, could you say, where they're strong enough to deal with this. Um, we could go into Corinthians and look at that and to explain that a little more, but just to try to pull out what they needed to overcome here, um, it seems like false doctrine, recognizing false doctrine was, was a serious downfall of the Church of Pergamos, at least some in the Church of Pergamos, because in verse 13 it talks about Antipas, who is a faithful martyr. And I had heard that uh, that he was um, like the leader of the church at Pergamos, I believe, and he was martyred because he would not give in anything sacrificed to idols. So he stood strong and overcome, overcame um, the things that were pressing around them, and he paid with his life for it. But that means he also overcame in the end, too, in that final day. So false for Pergamus here, it's false doctrine. Um, I was thinking about this for us. How does this affect us today uh, in our church or me personally? Um, we need to not compromise with false doctrine, but you also have to be able to recognize it. And I think I maybe mentioned this idea to different people before. Um, something that I think we need to overcome in our day that is a false doctrine or, uh, yeah, that's kind of creeping into the churches at large. I'm not saying that we are facing it directly here, but um, throughout the evangelical or throughout the uh, church world, I think this is creeping in, and that is this idea of it's my truth, or, you know, I can kind of pick and choose what truth out of the Bible I want to call truth and leave the rest. Um, 
It's also the idea of you do you, whatever you feel like goes. That, <clears throat> I think, is a pretty serious thing that we are facing as false doctrine. And I think we need to be careful to guard against that. <clears throat> if we hold fast to truth and overcome the false doctrines of our day, even to death, as Antipas did, God will provide for our needs. We have that in uh, verse 17. To him that overcometh, I will give to eat of the hidden manna. Uh, the brother, on the brother's chat yesterday, I mentioned uh, something about manna there. I had just come across that uh, in my study. They estimate that God provided three pounds of manna per day, per person, um, to the children of Israel when they were wandering through the desert. And if I did my math right, I don't have the number in front of me, but it was uh, the number that's coming to mind is like 220 semi-loads of manna a day, which none on Sunday, or none on Saturday, doubled on Friday. Uh, it, it still evens out to be the 220. Um, that's, a lot of, that's a lot of provision out in the middle of the desert. And so we can trust in that and know that whatever we're facing, um, if we're overcoming, God will provide for us. Okay, moving on to Thyatira. Verse 18. could use a tissue. I don't think I see any up here. If somebody minds grabbing one for me. And to the angel of the church in Thyatira, write these things, saith the Son of God, who hath his eyes like unto a flame of fire, and his feet are like fine brass. I know thy works, and charity, and service, and faith, and thy patience, and thy works, and the last to be more than the first. Notwithstanding, I have a few things against thee, because thou sufferest that woman Jezebel, which calleth herself a prophetess, to teach and seduce the servants to commit fornication and to eat things sacrificed unto idols. And I gave her space to repent of her fornication, and she repented not. Behold, I will cast her into the bed, and them that commit adultery with her into great tribulation, except they repent of their deeds. And I will kill her children with death, and all the churches shall know that I am he which searcheth the reins and hearts, and I will give you unto every one of you and I will give unto every one of you according to your works. But unto you I say, and unto the rest in Thyatira, as many as have not this doctrine, and which have not the de known the depths of Satan as they speak, I will put upon you none other burden, but that which ye already hold fast till I come. And he that overcometh and keepeth my works unto the end, to him will I give power over the nations. And he shall rule them with a rod of iron, as the vessels of a potter, As the vessels of a potter shall they be broken to shivers, even as I received of my father. And I will give him the morning star. And he that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. All right, so for Thyatira, where I was at. It seems like Thyatira, Thyatira suffers from uh, similar issues as Pergamos, only based on the way it's written here, the way it was delivered to them, it seems like they're maybe deeper ingrained in it. Um, there's a lot more serious... Uh, serious wordage used here in relation to their uh, suffering from the being overcome by false doctrine. It talks about uh, the prophetess 
Jezebel, teaching and seducing. And again, it's the same things, uh, fornication and to eat things sacrificed unto idols. Again, God gives space for repentance, um, but in this case, Jezebel chose not to. Um, so again, here for Thyatira, we have immorality, false teaching. Um, if you look around us uh, in the churches today, um, there it seems like there is a lot of immorality coming into the churches. And I don't know that we're, I don't know, I guess it's okay to say I don't think we're facing that real uh, harshly. Um, but I was, as I was preparing, I was reminding of, uh, reminded of um, his name slips in my mind, Ravi Zacharias. There's been some charges against, or uh, accusations against him recently of, I think the word might be impropriety. Um, he was somebody that I, that I had used to, years ago, used to listen to quite a bit more, but even in the past, um, his standing for truth, and uh, he often talked about, uh, or um, I'm not sure if debated is the right word, but he would, uh, he would talk about evolution and and those kind of things, and, you know, the fact that there is a God, and, and really, he did a really uh, good job of explaining those things, I thought, and and st- stood for truth. Yet, here it seems, uh, by these accusations, that he also had fallen into immorality. So I think we need to be, uh, again, careful. It's uh, <clears throat> It's something that's there. It's something that we can easily fall into. <clears throat> You'll also notice, um, like I mentioned with the previous church, it was accompanied by false doctrine. Um, so it seems like they lost their way and then weren't, didn't have the ability anymore to overcome when, <clears throat> when these other temptations came. Excuse me. <clears throat> Okay, so moving on to uh, chapter 3, Sardis. And unto the angel of the church in Sardis write these things. Let me, uh, maybe that will work better for me. And unto the angel in the, of the church in Sardis write these things, saith he that hath the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know thy works, that thou hast a name, that thou livest and art dead. And be watchful and strengthen the things which remain, that are ready to die. For I have not found thy works perfect before God. Remember, therefore, how thou hast received and heard, hold fast and repent. If, therefore, thou shalt not watch, I will come on thee as a thief, and thou shalt not know what hour I come upon thee. Thou hast a few names even in Sardis, which have not defiled their garments, and they shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. He that overcometh the same shall be clothed in white raiment. And I will not blot out his name out of the book of life, but I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. Uh, It seems like Sardis had been a lively church at some point, but uh, my best description for it is it's now become a dead religious group. It, uh, I know thy works, thou hast a name, and that thou livest, and art dead. And then it, he's, they're encouraged to strengthen the things which remain that are about ready to die. So it seems like there was a life there at some point, but um, I think it was Matthew Henry talked about hypocrisy. Uh, it's like they had a form of godliness, but we're denying the power thereof. And it's easy for us to have a profession like this. Um, 
and not always have the reality there. And I think especially um, in this day and age, how connected we can be with people so far from us, it's easier to give off that uh, impression that may not be reality. It seems like they had put on enough of a enough of a show or enough of that form of godliness that they'd even duped themselves into believing that everything was all right. Uh, it's It seems like there was a blindness there, and he was uh, he was encouraging them to watch for that. Um, Find my verse here. Um, therefore, thou shalt. Verse three, thou shalt not. If therefore thou shalt not watch, I will come as a, on thee as a thief in the night. And thou shalt not know what hour I come upon thee. Gives the idea of not, not realizing, not seeing, not understanding where things actually are at. They needed to overcome. Um, I jotted down religious form or hypocrisy. They needed to overcome that on a daily basis in order to be able to overcome in the end. Uh, in uh, verse 7, we have the church in Philadelphia. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write these things, saith he that is holy, he that is true, he that hath the key of David, he that openeth and no man shutteth, and shutteth and no man openeth. I know thy works. Behold, I have set before thee an open door, and no man can shut it. For thou hast a little strength, and hast kept my word, and hast not denied my name. Behold, I will make them of the synagogue of Satan. <clears throat> Behold, I will make them of the synagogue of Satan which say they are Jews and are not, but do lie. Behold, I will make them to come and worship before thy feet and to know that I have loved thee. Because thou hast kept the word of my patience, I also will keep thee from the hour of temptation, which shall come upon all the world, to try them that dwell upon the earth. Behold, I come quickly. Hold that fast which thou hast, that no man take thy crown. Him that overcometh will I make a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall go no more out, and I will write upon him the name of my God, and the name of the city of my God, which is New Jerusalem, which cometh down out of heaven from my God. And I will write upon him my new name. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. So for Philadelphia, I, I wrote down... Uh, backsliding as the just the one word thing for us to take away from that. Talks about in verse 8, Thou hast a little strength, and thou hast kept my word, and hast not denied my name. And it doesn't really seem like he had much against the Church of Philadelphia, but it seemed like there's not really uh, anything real direct that he was charging them with having turned away from, uh, having turned to or having given over to. But as I read through it, I got the impression that they were holding on, but kind of just barely. And so it's more of an encouragement uh, rather than an accusation for this church, that they keep from backsliding, that they, they need to press in. Um, they need to hold on to what they have, not to lose faith. If they overcame, and I think we all have that tendency, if we uh, just 
push a canoe out into a river and sit down in it, and you're going to go downstream. And if we do that spiritually or we do that in our lives, we're not going to go in the direction that, that we would want to go or that we should go. We're just going to be floating along. And so for them to, the encouragement is for them to press in, to overcome that, uh, I don't know, tendency to relax maybe you could say. But I, I jotted down the word backsliding because that's what happens when we relax. So then for the last church, uh, starts here in verse 14. And unto the angel of the church of Laodicea, write these things, saith the Amen, the faithful, and the true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot, and I would thou wert cold or hot. So then, because thou art lukewarm, and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Because thou sayest, I am rich, and increased with goods, and have need of nothing. Knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable, and poor and blind and naked. I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire, that thou mayest be rich, and white raiment, that thou mayest be clothed, and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear. And anoint thine eyes with eye salve, that thou mayest see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come to him, and will sup with him, and he with me. To him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne even as I also overcame, and am set down with my Father in his throne. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. Yeah. I'm not sure if you can uh, say one church is necessarily worse than the other. They were all seems to be facing different things. But Laodicea, if there was one that was worse, seems to be Laodicea. He was going to spew um, I'm just thinking I don't think he mentions that there are any that uh, you know some of the churches he mentions there are some that are still holding on, but I'm not sure he does there with Laodicea. He's going to spit the whole thing out. That's the that's what impression I got. Um, I think Laodicea deceived themselves here. They were conceited. I mentioned that thing of spiritual pride earlier um, with one of the churches, and it seems like Laodicea may have had a little bit of that also. Um, they had kind of grown, uh, I think indifferent would be the word, to the gospel because they felt like they were rich. They had a they didn't need anything more. They were filled. Um, obviously, the one, the thing they needed to overcome here was the lukewarmness. Um, God would rather they were hot or cold. And I think, uh, I think that goes for us too. Again. need to be careful that the things we're facing on a day-to-day -day basis, um, that we're overcoming them and they're not causing us to grow lukewarm or to backslide, as mentioned with the previous uh, church. I think all of those things, I might just read them all here, um, the, the single words I jotted down, you have lukewarmness, imprisonment, persecution, false doctrine, Immorality, false teaching, hypocrisy, religious form, backsliding, lukewarmness. Those are things of the world that are mentioned there in those verses in uh, in First uh, John 5 where it talks about overcoming the world. All of these things are part of that. Verses there, for whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world. Being born of God gives us the ability to overcome all of these things mentioned here. 
being born of God, for whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world, and this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. I thought also of, uh, maybe I'll mention this quick, I was going to open it up here and see if there was some other things that came to your mind of things that we face today we need to overcome. Uh, before I do that, I want to turn to, think about that for a minute while I read from First John 2. This is probably a verse that came to some of your minds, talking about overcoming the world, um, verse 15 and 16, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. All those three things mentioned there are also things that need to be overcome. Again, I, I kind of think those are sort of a generalization, and I thought when I open it up, it might be interesting if some would have some more specific things that, that we need to watch for. Be careful um, that we are not overcome by it. I might just give a couple minutes here, see if there's any additional thoughts from you all. What are you facing that is threatening to overcome you? can easily be discouraging and, and uh, you know, reading that and distracting and taking our mind off, losing sight of. that is not of this world. Is there anyone else? Maybe one or two more we have time for. That's probably something we face differently than uh, many uh, Christians. In, uh, let me rephrase that. That's probably something we face differently than Christians in many parts of the world. Um, you know, we have access and ability, and you know, a lot of that is built through the way our government operates and um, allows us to have that easy access. You know, the free markets and capitalism and all of that. Uh, allows for that, and we do need to guard against um, getting caught up in that. Maybe for my final point here, how do we overcome? This point is kind of short. <clears throat> I... Uh, I'm going to turn back to 1 John 5, 4 through 5, and read those verses again. I know I've read them a couple of times, but now let's look at it from the aspect of, of what do we need to do to overcome, or, or where does our strength come from for overcoming, um, and think about it in that light. 
whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world, and this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. So verse 4 says, by our faith, which is in God, or needs to be in God, that is what is going to help us to overcome the world. Who is he that overcometh the world, but he that believeth that Jesus is the Son of God? So our faith is, uh, our faith is in God, and that Jesus is the Son of God, but also in all that that includes, which is um, uh, Christ's overcoming of his enemies. And our faith in that is what allows us to overcome the things that we face. And I was reading through Matthew Henry on these two verses here, and I found it very interesting. And uh, He does a much better job of putting this paragraph together than, than I could have. So I'm going to read a short section here. It says, Faith is the cause of victory, the means, the means, the instrument, the spiritual armor by which we overcome. In and by faith we cleave to Christ, in contempt of and in opposition to the world. Faith sanctifies the heart and purifies it from the sensual lusts by which the world obtains sway and dominion over souls. It has the indwelling spirit of grace, which is greater than he who dwells in the world. The real Christian overcomes the world by faith. He sees in and by the life and conduct of the Lord Jesus on earth, that this world is to be renounced and overcome. He cannot be satisfied with this world, but looks beyond it, and is still tending, striving, and pressing toward heaven. We must all, after Christ's example, overcome the world, or it will overcome us to our ruin. So I'm sure you could expound on that and come up with other things that help us to overcome the world. Um, but I think, that, I think that faith is a good foundation for that, for what those other things are. Without faith, we don't really have anything. Um, and here I want to read in uh, John chapter 16. Uh, verse 33, and then the first couple of verses of chapter 17. And it talks about that. Um, as Matthew Henry said there, uh, about... about Jesus overcoming the things on this earth. Um, and that example for us. He's talking to his disciples here, comforting them. And it says, These things I have spoken unto you, that in me... Ye might have peace. In the world ye shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. These words spake Jesus and lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour is come. Glorify thy Son, that thy Son also may glorify thee, as thou hast given him power over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. So from these verses, again, uh, our faith in Christ and the fact that he was able to overcome um, overcome sin, the devil, death. Uh, the list could go on and on. Um, because he was able to do that, our faith in him gives us the uh, strength, I think is how you could say that. Or the, uh, it just creates in us the desire to want to also overcome. And again, I think that this is probably, uh, I think it's something we need to consider more. Are we overcoming on a day-to-day -day basis? Am I, being, uh, am I being weighed down by, you know, maybe it's uh, fears because of what I'm seeing in the news, or, or maybe it's um, discouragement because, uh, because I did fail in something. Um, in all of the... And the church is there in Revelation. God had given space to repent. Uh, we know that we can come to him if we have fallen. And, uh, and that's another way of overcoming is coming back. And, and uh, I think of the verse, 
right? Just man falls seven times, eight, seven times. Um, that verse just kind of popped into my head here. You know, we we do have uh, a way to come back and to and to overcome again. Um, again, that's through that faith in Christ. So I'll leave you with that. Are we, am I, overcoming? Or am I being overcome? I think it would be good for us to ponder that this week.